God, as you've been present and tangibly present, evident with us as we sing, as we worship, as we bow before you, we ask that you would continue to be so now through your word. Help us to be attentive to you, to your word, to your will, to your way, to your heart. Give us ears that are able to hear and eyes that are good to see the things that you would have us see, know, understand, learn, and become. I pray and ask that as my words are true to your word, that they be taken to heart. If my words should stray or deviate from your word in any way, shape, or form, may they be immediately forgotten. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. So the past two Sunday mornings I've preached on Jesus' command or Jesus' teaching to love one's enemies. And I thought I was going to do that again this Sunday. I feel like in some ways in my life, in my heart, and maybe together with uh, you and in the scriptures, I've just begun to scratch the surface of that gold mine that God has for us. Uh, just riches and treasure uh, through which God desires to refine, reform, renew, rebuild me at least, my heart, my mind, the way I am, the way I understand his will and his way. However, I understood that uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, so I thought, well, maybe we'll put that off or just do that differently. Probably good to go with the Pentecost theme on Pentecost Sunday, but we may get back around to this whole love your enemy thing because I think... It's pretty pervasive. Jesus teaching the application and the need for it in our world. So today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the Sunday each year when the church remembers and celebrates the outpouring or the pouring out of God's Holy Spirit on God's people and the followers of Jesus. Some of you are familiar with Pentecost and the celebration of Pentecost. Some of you not so much. Some of the more liturgical churches around the world and through history have celebrated Pentecost. Many have not. We're going to dig into the key passage for Christians about Pentecost and the outpouring of God's Spirit in just a minute. But first I want to set the scene a little and give some context to that. The Jewish people had a number of festivals. Three of them were what we might call pilgrimage festivals or feasts. Uh, through which or during which Jews who had spread out all over the known world, the Mediterranean in particular, North Africa, parts of what is now Europe, all over the Middle East, came back to Jerusalem to worship God together in that holy space. First for Passover and then for the Feast of Weeks, also known as Pentecost, and then later, later the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents, as it was sometimes called. So the Jewish people would converge on Jerusalem in this pilgrimage from all over the world during those times. And so one of those was Pentecost. The word Pentecost means 50 days, no big surprise. And it comes 50 days after the second day of the Passover celebration for the Jewish people. And similarly for us, it comes 50 days our celebration, 50 days, including Easter, including that Sunday, both Sundays on both ends, 50 days or seven weeks after Easter, and that's today. And it was on this day that the first Christians who were all Jewish experienced this outpouring or experience or baptism or filling, but clearly an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in their lives, in their hearts, on them, among them. And among maybe the most tangible 
elements of the Holy Spirit's presence among them that day was their speaking in tongues. There were many things that were seen and heard and experienced, but this uh, speaking in different languages may have been the most tangible and unique element of the Holy Spirit's outpouring on them that day, or at least a sign of that. So this uh, outpouring that led to this speaking in many languages, the Greek word is glossa. Say that with me together. Glossa. Say it again at home. Glossa is the Greek word, and it can be translated tongues or languages. Either one, depending on the context. And in this context, clearly Luke, the author of the book of Acts, is using this term to speak of, in Acts chapter 2, which we'll get to in a moment, different languages, other known languages, like Arabic or Italian or a variety of languages that would have been known all over that part of the world. And so uh, the context makes that clear, but later in the Bible there are some examples in 1 Corinthians of a different kind of speaking in glossa, and that's the one that we're more familiar with today. Rather than people miraculously speaking in different known languages, certain churches and certain streams and certain individuals have practiced something called speaking in tongues, which is an indecipherable language. Those most uh, often doing that and a part of their life as Christians and as of their churches are called Pentecostal churches. No surprise there. During which they often in their worship and in their time together and their time apart speak in these undecipherable or indecipherable words or languages. The modern Pentecostal movement got its start or its genesis in 1906 in a town or city called Azusa in Los Angeles County where there was this multi-day revival during which people began to speak in tongues, different undecipherable languages. And there were also other manifestations of the Holy Spirit, healing and miracles and words of prophecy that were experienced during that church. And the Pentecostal movement, beginning in 1906, or at least the modern movement, uh, grew among individuals, grew among Christians with their experiences and their conversions, uh, launched churches, launched denominations. And the Pentecostal movement also made its way 50, 60, 70 years later into the Roman Catholic Church and the Presbyterian Church and the Methodist Church and even some Baptist churches. So now I'm getting a little ahead of myself about uh, setting the scene. So I want to rewind a, big, a bit because the Holy Spirit was not given for the first time in 1906 in Azusa, California. If we re rewind all the way back to the beginning to Genesis chapter 1, we read, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the sur surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There in the second verse of the Bible, the Spirit of God is present. And just as we read back into the creation account, Jesus, the presence of God, God speaking the Word of God, so we also see the Spirit of the triune God here at creation. Fast forward a little bit to Moses in the history of God's people. And Moses was a person who was clearly and uh, the, the early books of the Bible even say so, filled with the Holy Spirit. 
The Spirit was on them. Now fast forward to Numbers chapter, chapter 11. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and chapter 11. The people of Israel have been, under Moses' leadership, wandering around in the wilderness or the desert, having come out of Egypt for 40 years, and now they're grumbling. Uh, the New International Version calls them the rabble. They're grumbling, they're complaining, they're whining, they're moaning. All we get to eat every day is only manna. We miss the meat in Egypt that we got to eat there. We miss the onions. We miss the garlic. All we get to eat here, Moses, is uh, manna. We fry it. We bake it. We steam it. We pop it. We do all kinds. We're tired of manna, though. We've tried eating it in every form. And Moses, tired of hearing and carrying the burden of all of these people complaining to him, goes to God and says, God, why did you make me? Why did you create these people? Why did you put them on me? I can't bear this anymore. I want to die. And God replies to him in grace and mercy, I've got a plan. He says to Moses, call together 70 elders from among you. And Moses does, and God says, here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna take the spirit that I've given you and I'm gonna put that spirit on these men also so they will be equipped and empowered to lead and to speak and to prophesy also in my name. And that's what God does. He takes the spirit, his spirit, that he placed on Moses and he places that also on 70 other Israel of Israel's men and leaders and elders, so that they too could help lead, they too could help prophesy, they too would be empowered. And that was a good thing. Two men named Medad and Eldad were also a part of receiving that spirit, and they continued to prophesy. Joshua, son of Nun, comes to Moses and says, hey, what about those guys? They're continuing to prophesy, and Moses says, fantastic. We want more people who are filled with God's spirit, who speak on God's behalf, who speak God's words, who prophesy. And so throughout Israel's history, there were particular people, usually judges, kings, other leaders, who were given the Spirit of God, but not everyone was. Samson had it. He was empowered by God's Spirit. He's in the middle of the pillars in the great temple, and he shoves them down. He's filled with power from the Holy Spirit. Then comes along a prophet named Joel. And we're going to read about his prophecy in a few minutes. But he's hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus, but long after Moses. And he says that God's spirit one day will be given to all people, to all of God's people. So fast forward now to uh, the New Testament and to the time of Jesus. Jesus, as we read last Thursday and yesterday at a memorial service, uh, Two Thursdays ago was Ascension Day. Last Sunday was Ascension Sunday, which celebrates what we see in Acts 1, Jesus post-resurrection appearing to his disciples, speaking to them, saying over a period of 40 days, I will send my spirit to you. I will pour out my spirit on you. You will be baptized in and by and with the spirit of God. John baptized with water. A day is soon coming that you will be baptized with or immersed in the Holy Spirit. But he says, wait, wait, wait a few days. That time is coming. And that time did come. 
I'm going to read now for, from Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, picking up the story there. Again, listen closely. This is the Word of God. When the day of Pentecost came, they, Jesus' disciples, were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on or above each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues or glossa or languages as the Spirit enabled them. And you'll see how we know the right interpretation there is languages in just a moment. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven at that time. They'd all come back for the Pentecost celebration. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking mere Galileans? How then is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we all hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or languages, glossa. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does all of this mean? Some, however, made fun of the disciples and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, everyone who's come and everyone who was already here, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, Joel. In the last days, and then he's quoting Joel now. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. In other words, speak God's words. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, everybody, even the most unlikely people, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy or speak God's words. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved or healed or rescued. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued. And this is just a, a snippet, Peter's story. A man who previously was timid, who was scared, who denied knowing Jesus, who ran and hid, who huddled with the other disciples in an upper room. This Peter all of a sudden is empowered. He is filled with God's spirit. He is bold. He is courageous. He has God's words. And he stands up in the center of Jerusalem and says, men and women, people from all over the earth, let me tell you how in Jesus this prophecy has been fulfilled and how his spirit 
once for only select leaders, peoples, priests, judges, kings, is now for all people, for everyone, that everyone might be saved. And on that day, 3,000 people came to faith, were converted, believed, became worshipers of God and followers of Jesus. Peter, in this new power of the Holy Spirit, for which he had waited, as Jesus said, and then been filled or baptized in or with, all of a sudden is able to preach and not just preach, but preach effectively and preach with power. Scroll back to the Gospel of John, chapters 14, 15, 16, 17, Jesus' longest discourse. And in that passage, he speaks a number of times about the Holy Spirit. Some translations, the older translations, use the word comforter to, tra to translate the word in Greek that's parakletos or paraklete. Some translations use the word comforter. Some uh, more modern translations use the word advocate. It's a little bit of a difficult word to translate. But the word uh, paraklete, which became comfort, goes back to the old King James English, which was heavily influenced by Latin, which meant come forte, come forte, come with strength or with strength. If you're in music, if you play music, if you know music, you know the word forte or two Fs, double forte. It means to play that part, that note, that measure, that section of the music with strength, with power. And that's what the scriptures are getting at. That's what Jesus was getting at. When this Holy Spirit comes, he will be your empowerer. He will be your comforter, yes. He will console you, yes, when you're sad and weak. But more than that, he will come with power, giving you power for the things to which God has called you, giving you strength. Gordon Fee, who was one of the greatest uh, pneumatologists, students of, teachers of Holy Spirit pneumatology of the scriptures in the New Testament in particular over the last hundred years, Gordon Fee, in attempting to bring together all of the scriptures and describe or define the Holy Spirit, used three words, God's empowering presence. Let's say that together at home, together. God's empowering presence. I didn't hear you. Uh, so let's say it a little bit louder. God's empowering presence. Much better. And so there's this outpouring of the Holy Spirit or God's empowering presence on that Pentecost day and lots of things happen. Roaring wind, visible, tangible tongues, not ears, not eyes, not noses, not some other part of the body, but tongues for speaking, for preaching, for declaring. Come to rest it appears above each of Jesus' disciples. And there is this new power that God is unleashing for, in, and through God's people. And we would say that maybe this is not something that's prescriptive that we are supposed to repeat or expect to happen again and again as much as it may have been just a one-time thing and so descriptive of what God was doing in and through his people during that time. If we go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, there's the theme verse there of the whole book of Acts. And Jesus says to his disciples, when that time comes, I will pour out my spirit on you. You will be baptized in and with my spirit, the Holy Spirit, 
and you will go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, kind of these concentric circles, Jerusalem where they already were, what they called home for that time. Jerusalem and Judea, the bigger region, and Samaria that started to contain or envelop non-Jewish or pseudo-Jewish or half-Jewish people and to the ends of the earth. And we see this similar sort of concentric circle through the book of Acts that's going out and particularly in four Pentecost-like events, the first in Acts chapter 2 and then in Acts chapter 8 where the Holy Spirit is given to Samaritan people, the despised by Jewish half-breed people who had uh, allowed their faith and their belief to be interwoven with the pagan people around them. And then in chapter 10 when the Holy Spirit is given to and poured out upon Gentile people specifically a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, leader of high rank, and his household and those who were there, the pouring out again of God's Spirit into and for those people. And then fast forward again to chapter 19 when this manifestation of God's Spirit happens again to people who are further from the center of the concentric circle. This going out, this going out, this going out. It's the theme of Acts. Empowered by God's Holy Spirit and sent to preach, teach, tell, share the good news that the Son of God, the Messiah, our Savior, has arrived. He is Jesus. He died on our behalf and he is raised. He is alive. He is with us and we with him in a new life, a new kind of life that Jesus calls both abundant and eternal. And Jesus sends his disciples out to Samaria, to Judea, to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. To people who are not going to be naturally on their own receptive. And he says, don't go until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't go, don't try to go on your own accord. Wait, Jesus says in verse four of chapter one of Acts. Wait because you will need desperately the Holy Spirit to be filled with, baptized, immersed in the Spirit, God's power for this journey. Don't dare go to people of other races, other cultures, other ethnicities, other ways, other languages until you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. We would say this today in our world, don't dare go into cross-cultural ministry, even that, if that's in your own community, your own city, across the bay, into another area until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't dare go across the ocean to the ends of the earth until you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus says wait, maybe he's not talking so much about chronologically time wait, but the waiting is an attitude, a disposition, a readiness, a humility that says, fill me with your spirit. I'm ready. I'm available. The time is now. Fill me. I'm ready to go. And then when we are ready, when God has filled us with his spirit, then he says go. Then he says, go into other places, go to other peoples. And in this day, today, May 31st, 2020, in our country, 
We are being torn apart, shredded by violence, by hate, by dissension, by anger, by frustration, by hurt, by injustice. By people warring against their fellow Americans. By uprisings. By people who are angry. By people who are hateful. And Jesus says, Christians, people filled with my Holy Spirit, go into those places to serve, to speak, to listen, to be attentive, to care, to shepherd, to help, to be the arms and legs, to be the voice and the hands of Jesus bringing about a just mercy and compassion. There's more. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul, and he writes 1 Corinthians, the letter that we know is 1 Corinthians, because there's trouble in Corinth. There's trouble in the church, there's disruption, there's disagreement, there's dissension. There's bragging, there's boasting about the varieties of their particular gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some say this one's more important, some say that one's more important. Those who could speak God's word said what we do is most important. Others said this is most important. And there became this unhealthy and terrible competition in Corinth about the varieties of gifts of the Holy Spirit. Paul writes to them and says, I want to be clear about a few things. All of the gifts are important. All of the gifts are needed. God fills us with his spirit in different ways. He empowers us in different ways. Prophesying or speaking, teaching, preaching God's word is important, not as a preacher, but as everybody, individual. He lists that one first. He says the least important in this context now today is this speaking in indecipherable languages because it just makes outsiders think we're weird, unusual, filled with wine rather than something else. But then he goes through uh, at the end of chapter 12 and in the beginning of chapter 3 and says, Uh, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, in other words, if I prophesy, if I'm a preacher, a declarer, a teller, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I give all that I can to the poor but don't have love, I am nothing. If I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I gain nothing. And he goes through all of the gifts and says, really what you need is the chief gift, but it's not even a gift because it's God himself and he gives it to everyone and he says it's love. Paul talks in his letter to the Galatians, he says, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, there are these byproducts of that, these visible, visible, tangible evidence of that. He calls them fruit. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. When a person is filled with the Spirit of God, they will exhibit these characteristics. That's just the way it is. And the first of those, and the most important of those, Paul says, is love. And so back to Acts 1 and 2, Pentecost. We've too often associated it simply with speaking in indecipherable words. But what God is showing us and calling us to and empowering us for is a going out to all people to proclaim that the day of the Lord has come and that the King has arrived and that he's here to bring and demonstrate 
and fill the world not with hate or dissension or discord or Molotov cocktails or barricades or flipping over police cars or injustice or persecution or racism in its various forms, but to fill this world with love. The greatest of these is love. The chief and first fruit of this filling of the Spirit is love. We're to go out into the world, go out to those with whom we agree, go out to those with whom we disagree, go out to those who do not yet know, go out in courage, go out with moral authority to serve, to declare, to love, to heal, to bring back together, to reconcile in the name and in the power of Jesus. More than anything, this is what our country needs today. People who are filled not with anger or hate or injustice or bitterness or rivalry or prejudice or arrogance or pride, but people who are humbly filled with God's spirit, seeking to reconcile, to bring people back together, to be agents and ambassadors of God's spirit and his power and his presence and his love. We need more voices like those of Martin Luther King Jr. We don't need the Rosetta Stone on steroids. We all already speak the same language. We need people who are prepared to love their enemies in the power of Jesus' name. Arthur Brooks says, the mark of moral courage is not standing up to people with whom one disagrees, but standing up to people with whom one agrees on behalf of those with whom one disagrees. As a country, as a culture, as a church, the road forward is through making friends of our enemies, whoever and however they may be. On this Pentecost, that is my prayer, that God will again pour out his spirit His spirit of love, his spirit of peace, his spirit of justice, his spirit of oneness, bringing people together and not dividing. Uniting people across our country, across and around the world, in the Bay Area, in our communities. May that be our prayer today, this week, as we celebrate Pentecost, in the days and the days and the days to come. Would you pray with me? We confess, God, the ways in which we've been part of the problem. The ways we've exhibited indirectly or directly, outwardly or inwardly, subtly or blatantly, injustice, prejudice, disdain, judgmentalism, a critiquing spirit, Rejection. Fill us with your spirit. Fill your church with your spirit. Fill with your spirit all who will call on your name. Fill with your power those who are weak, those who have tried too long, by their own strength. Bless, bless, bless. Bless our world, bless our globe, bless the people of every nation. Those nations 
that were represented in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago on Pentecost. The nations represented in the Bay Area. The nations represented in our church. The nations represented in our communities. The nations represented in our schools. Pour out your blessing, God. These things we pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. We're going to close this morning a little differently than normal. Instead of uh, with our closing song as usual and a benediction, we're going to allow a video uh, made locally to be our benediction, to be our prayer, to be our going out together. Uh, You're welcome to stick around for all of it. It's a few minutes longer than maybe our normal song. But I encourage you to listen, to watch, to pray, to ask, to seek through this. May this Pentecost be a day on which God's Spirit is poured out and God's Spirit flows. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward